I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Guy Scamendieta, and you listen to La Liga Lowdown. Hi, my name is John Guidetti, and this is La Liga Lowdown. Hi, I'm Carlos Soler. And this is La Liga Lowdown. Yes, it is fitting to have international footballers, past, present and future, doing the introductions. Hi, everyone. I'm David Garrido. Welcome along to La Liga Lowdown's mini-pod with Radio Stakhanov. Special extended edition this time round because we are concentrating on La Roja, the Spain national team. Uh, we don't really get to speak about them as often as La Liga teams. And quite frankly, it is a good time to do so after a major tournament and with a change of coach as well. Uh, with me to discuss all things Spain are Alex Johnson. How are we, Alex? Hi, I'm kind of good. Uh, a bit, I have a little bit of a cold, but otherwise I'm fine. Oh, you're made of tough stuff. You'll be all right. I'm sure for the next half hour or so you'll be fine. Uh, and Ewan McTeer is also with us. How are you, Ewan? Yeah, great. I mean, Scotland have uh, lost fewer UEFA Nations League games in England, so uh, this is a good start for us. Do you know what we should have done? We should have done a sweepstake on how long it's going to take Ewan to mention Scotland in some sort of anti hey, We've qualified way. for a major tournament, so uh, I'm all about this UEFA Nations League. We're in it. The women as well have done well with Scotland. They really so, have. You know, yeah, absolutely Sweden brilliant. too, Sweden too. And Sweden too, and Sweden too. Colombia, not sure actually. Let me go and check that out and I'll report back on that later. Uh, but of course, listen, um, great to have you both with us. And the main focus of today's mini pod is Spain's 2-1 win over England, uh, the World Cup semi-finalists at Wembley on Saturday night. Um, so I'll just briefly sum up the game. The starting 11 named by Luis Enrique, De Gea in goal, a back four of Carvajal, Nacho, Ramos and Marcos Alonso. In midfield, Thiago, Busquets, Saúl, a front three of Isco, Rodrigo, Iago Aspas. In terms of the main events of the game, well, Spain went behind. Uh, Luke Shaw playing in Marcus Rashford to finish past De Gea, but then Spain hit back immediately. Carvajal, Rodrigo combining down the right-hand side, and Saúl it was who finished smartly. Plenty more on him to come. Uh, and then England fell asleep at a free kick, really. Spain scoring their second with Rodrigo this time, taking advantage of some poor marking and just sweeping the ball home at the near post. Uh, second half didn't quite match the first, uh, but De Gea made some important saves from his Manchester United teammate Marcus Rashford, and England also had a Danny Welbeck goal ruled out late on uh, for a foul on the Spain keeper. Uh, England really turned the screw in the last few minutes. They searched for that equaliser, but it simply wouldn't come. Spain working hard and holding firm in the end. And also just a little note on Luke Shaw. Um, he was stretched off after an accidental clash uh, with Carvajal early in the second half, but he was conscious afterwards. He was awake. He was alert. He stayed in hospital overnight for further observation. So uh, we wish him all the best in his recovery. Um, briefly, Alex, what was your overall assessment of Spain? And give them a mark out of 10 for me, please. 
Well, I think it was a good start for under Luis Enrique. I think we could see quite a bit of a change since the World Cup and uh, and things like that. So for for me, I'd say I would give them a seven. Um, there's still things to improve, but looking at the overall picture, I think they they did uh, have a good start under a new coach, and it's against a tough opponent as well as England. Okay, you and what about you? How do you assess how Spain performed, and what's your mark out of ten for Lucho's side? Yeah, I was dead impressed. I'd give them about an eight. Again, I agree with Alex. There was maybe some things with defence. I think with the goal, it was it was just a really good cross and a good finish from England. I mean, I don't know how you can defend against that. But in the second half, yeah, they were under the cosh a bit. And thankfully, David De Gea recovered a bit of his form, which we'll get into later. So yeah, a generally good performance from Spain. Loved their midfield. I'd give them an eight. Do you know what? I'm going to go eight as well, actually, you and um, I mean, for me, well, sort of looking diagonally across the pitch at Wembley and, and for the first half, I was sort of sat behind David Ahea, if you like. So I was seeing them play out and, and, and try and dominate the game. And for me, it really felt like a, a Spain with a Lucho stamp on it already. Energy, uh, intensity, the way that they pressed without the ball, but with with direction, with, with, a, with a meaning to it all. Um, that, that word in Spanish, which we hear a lot if you sort of cover Spanish football, you, you read Spanish press, vertical, the fact that they were direct in trying to find the path to goal. And, and actually also, I was really impressed with them without the ball when they were defending in that defensive third, when they were camped in, they had lucha, they had that fight, they had that application of forcefulness. And also, what I found really interesting, I don't know if you guys noticed this on the TV coverage, but he very rarely sat down. In fact, I can't even remember him sitting down at all uh, and he was encouraging and applauding his players particularly when they managed to recover the ball and you really felt that he was trying to impose himself right from the word go on this squad not just in the game itself but the, the days leading up to it um, Alex you mentioned that there was a difference between Spain at the World Cup that team who underperformed that team who lost to Russia on penalties and the Spain who beat England last night just flesh that out for me what was the biggest difference for you? Well, I think it comes down to mainly one thing, and it's the coach. It's Luis Enrique. Um, at the World Cup, the, the entire thing with how Lopetegui left and Hero came in, I think, uh, uh, made a big of a difference for the Spain squad in both the psychology part, but also on the pitch. And Hero came in with different ideas than they have had before, played different players than what probably would have been in the starting lineup otherwise. So I think there was a, a lot of confusion among the players themselves. Uh, when it comes to more of the playing style, I think with Lucho, it's kind of the same thing as he did with when he came to Barcelona, that he came in and he keeps the the tiki-taka, if you want to call it that, that Barcelona played before, and the same with Spain, but he changed it a bit and he makes it more direct, more vertical, and uh, make the team a bit more aggressive without the ball. And I think that's the, the main things that we, we've seen the difference at. And also the fact that, for instance, Sal was playing against England, uh, which was a player that didn't play a single minute at the World Cup and was probably the best player uh, against England. What about you, You Anything to add? Yeah, 100% behind the Saul praise. I mean, uh, the the first article we had up on Marca last night after the game was, uh, the title was, Fernando Hierro, one day you will have to explain to us all why Saul didn't play a single minute at the World Cup. Uh, quite a mouthy headline, but um, you get the point. And it's so true. I mean, uh, if there's one player who's going to embody Luis Enrique's verticalidad, then it's going to be Saul Niguez. This is a, a real box-to-box midfielder. He was so good in defence. He won the ball back often and then going forward he was able to either dribble past midfielders or play that through ball 
uh, to get it into the strikers or score a goal. So, I mean, you just think in that Russia game at the World Cup, when they were passing it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth across the midfield, imagine if Saul had been there, who knows what would have happened. So, yeah, I'm all for the, the new era with Luis Enrique and the new era with Saul starting for Spain. Okay, let's focus on the midfield then, actually, since we're talking about Saul. Um, and he earned a lot of praise from Lutra himself after the game, which we'll come on to. But what about the general balance of the midfield? Because we started off with Thiago and Busquets and Saul. So what did you think about the balance of that midfield? Was it the right midfield to start off with for you, Alex? Uh, I think so. What, what I like with that midfield is that it's very balanced in the sense that you have Thiago who is a very attacking offensive midfielder and then you have Busquets who's obviously the defensive one uh, and then you have Saul who is both attacking and des- defensively so he helps both Thiago in the attack and Busquets in the, the defensive work and I think the, the three of them together works works very very well together and it was great to finally actually get to see a coach who wants to have this midfield and, and believes in it. Uh, I think it would be very difficult for a player like Koke, for example, to, to get back into that. Yes, I think that is very true. Uh, it's, it's also interesting that the attacking forces that Spain had are also proper workers, aren't they? Look at Rodrigo, look at Iago Aspas. How important is that, do you think, Ewan, in terms of actually that energy shown right from the front? Yeah, there was a couple of times where Rodrigo especially put a lot of pressure on, on Pickford and on the, the England defenders and, and really got them to, to speed the play up and, and get Spain winning the ball back. And I think in the past we've sort of seen Spain teams, when they do lose possession, they're not too fussed about going after and getting it back until it comes into the, the final two thirds. So, yeah, this was this was something new as well. And uh, Isco, I think, deserves a bit of praise for, for his defensive efforts. I mean, uh, going forward, Isco was Isco. He was turning the he was getting tackled by three or four different players at times they really had to swarm him like it was like a sort of rugby game where you have one guy who's just absolutely massive and you need you need help to bring him down that was what Isco was like in a football sense but when he didn't have the ball he was such a worker and I think Isco's not someone who really gets much praise for his defensive contributions but yeah he really put in a shift and obviously you bring on uh, Sergio Roberto later on to sort of shore up a little bit and I think Alex is dead right it's going to be hard for certain players to get back into that midfield but at the same time going forward we know Sergio Busquets is going to be in there for the next game do we really know who's going to join them and we've seen Saul have a great game we don't know he's a young guy I think there'll still be some changes to come for Luis Enrique as he sort of experiments with this with this new team I did notice this score, particularly in the second half, when Spain had to do some defensive work. Uh, the, the games had repeated around, around 75 minutes and then England decided to have another go. And I think one of the most important thing was just being the outlet so that he could hold the ball up for a bit and then maybe earn that foul and maybe eat some time up. And there's another 30 seconds that go, another minute that goes, and you're, you're managing to, to get towards full time. You felt that actually everyone understood the, the sort of mentality and what was being demanded of them. And what about the defence, though, Ewan? Um, Nacho, instead of Albiol at centre-back, because I remember you were on the La Liga Lowdown Twitter account on the eve of the game and you managed to tweet the, the Luis Enrique 11 that he used in training that day. There were changes and it was Nacho instead of Albiol. How did they equip themselves against England's pacey and also very skillful forward players? 
Yeah, he made a good few changes, made a lot of us look silly. He made about three or four changes from the 11 he used in, in training. I don't know if he saw something uh, late on in the week. But yeah, Nacho for Albiol was one of them. And I don't know, I mean, I like Nacho. He's he's a really good backup for Real Madrid. I think his, his best work at Real Madrid comes when he's filling in as a fullback, normally at right back. I don't know, Nacho's a great centre-back, but if he's going to be the starter for Spain, but not a starter all the time for Real Madrid, and certainly not a starter at centre-back, I worry about that a little bit. I think you need to have someone um, who's you know used to the position, who's playing in that position regularly, if they're going to have success. Obviously, he has that chemistry with Sergio Ramos, who he plays with often, um, but a lot of the time when Nacho plays, it's because someone's suspended, and a lot of time when someone's suspended at Real Madrid, well, it's probably Ramos. So, Nacho is a, an interesting choice. I'd like to see Albiol get given a chance to see what he can do. Aspilicueta is another one who could come in there. Um, so there's there's plenty of options, but it's there's no one quite like Piquet, and it's going to take a bit of time to find out who makes that central defensive partnership really work with Ramos, who's obviously the first name on the team sheet. I think the Nacho improved as the game wore on. I think he was slightly at fault for England's goal, but there's not a huge amount you could do about it. It was a great ball from Luke Shaw uh, and then Marcus Rashford did what he does best. But uh, actually, I think he grew into the game and settled into the game. Um, And I think he still has an awful lot to offer. And it's a shame when you just consider someone a a backup, isn't it? Because I think that he is a a player in his own right who could walk into any other uh, La Liga team. But it's just the fact that he is, you know, competing with Varane and Ramos and even Vallejo for that first team place that it makes you just automatically think of him as a as a backup. Um, let's bring in some some stats here because we're all fans of stats. Um, some of these are quite telling. England lose their first competitive game at Wembley since 2007. So it's been more than a decade. That was the, the famous Wally with a Brolly night uh, that I'm sure that Ewan remembers fondly. Um, oh, yes. Steve McLaren, even got a Scottish name, hasn't he? Steve McLaren losing uh, 3-2 to Croatia. He infiltrated the... Um, This obviously wasn't quite as disastrous a defeat as that. Um, None of the last nine managers of the Spain national team have lost their first game in charge. Uh, The last to do so, a dude called Luis Suarez, not obviously the Barcelona striker. Uh, The last one to do so in 1988, a 1-2 defeat against Yugoslavia. This was interesting, and Alex, you alluded to this before as well, about uh, the ability to retain the ball. It's not like Spain have forgotten how to do that or just ditched it. Eight of Spain's 10 starting outfield players had a pass completion rate of over 90%, and Isco completed 73 of 74 passes, which is still extraordinary. And here's one that Alex actually tweeted uh, from the La Liga Lowdown account herself. Spain have won an international game at Wembley for the second time, both of those victories featuring a Marcus Alonso in the team, father in 1981 and son in 2018. Um, And in terms of Lucho, well, yes, I think he does deserve the praise. He said he was very happy that there were things to improve, that they had chances to win it even more easily, went for the third goal and that he loved that mentality too thinks that pressing is key and I think this is particularly important reducing those spaces but actually when you're playing against a team with three centre-backs it's very tough to do so what he said of Saul was he likes him a lot because he's got qualities incredible physically uh, he's mentally very strong and tactically very aware maybe he's got that all-round midfielder quality that you was alluding to um, Ewan and that he can score obviously and on David De Gea I never doubted him he says Everyone makes mistakes, but he's one of the best in the world. Proof uh, is this game and all the seasons that he's spent in England. Um, Alex, David Gea last night seemed a changed man compared to the one that was making mistakes against Portugal in the World Cup, didn't he? Yeah, of course. Uh, but I think it's, it's a lot in, in the head, uh, a lot of psychological things going on. And 
especially the entire thing happening with the coach in in the World Cup, I think uh, was making big difficulties for him and how to focus. And what we saw now is a, a goalkeeper who feels the confidence of the coach. Uh, while in, at the World Cup, I think we saw, saw a player who was more doubting himself and, and the team and, and in a more difficult position that way. So I think that's the, the main difference that we've seen in, in De Gea since the World Cup. And that's positive for Spain to know that he, he feels that safely with, uh, with Lucho. I don't know about you, Ewan, but the idea of not having a clear number one just strikes the fear of God into me. I just can't imagine either a a national team manager or a back four not knowing who is the de facto number one keeper. So in terms of Spain's evolution going forward, do you think it is kind of key in a way that David De Gea had this performance to really stake his claim very, very strongly to that shirt? I think so. But I think inside the camp, they all knew De Gea was number one. I think... Us outside like to make a bit more of uh, the sort of goalkeeping situation than there than there really was. I mean, Luis Enrique said in his pre-match press conference, "I know who's going to be the goalkeeper. I've never doubted him." He didn't say which player it was. Obviously, now we know he was talking about De Gea because he started him. So I think inside the camp they've trusted them, and you know, the World Cup. He made that mistake against Portugal. I think he made one save in the whole tournament, and that was really the the issue. Was you expected more from a guy who makes saves week in week out? Maybe it's just the fact he plays well in English soil. I don't know, but I think David. De Gea going forward we know he's he's one of the world's best and Kepa's there for the future and maybe in a few years maybe if he keeps performing well for Chelsea there really will be a debate but at the moment I think it's got to be De Gea for the next couple of years going into the next Euros and as you mentioned uh, that's important for the back four and I think they'll be pleased to have that sort of stability because Lucho really seems to trust him. Now, there's one other thing that is affected by this game, and that is the Partidaso predictions table, which I'm sure Alex is looking forward to hearing about. Um, having been joint bottom with me uh, after three match days of the current La Liga season, Alex has jumped into third place. So um, we do Partidaso predictions on our YouTube channel every Friday. We pick the big game of the weekend. Obviously, there was no La Liga games this weekend just gone. So we went for England versus Spain. And Alex and Paco also got the scoreline absolutely spot on. England won Spain too. So uh, Ewan gets a point for getting a Spain win, although not the exact scoreline. Nothing for me, nothing for Roman. Let's just gloss over that. Uh, this is how the table looks. Uh, I'm bottom still on one point. Roman is on three. Alex on four. And we have joint leaders. Oh, yes, the drama. Paco and Ewan both have five points. I think that's a good point just to sort of take a little breather. Uh, I, and we'll I take just it. want to add that I was above you before as well because my name starts with an A. So I mean, I don't really feel you that. need to mention that because you're now clearly ahead of me and it, it doesn't really matter. But I do take your point. I do take your point. In any case, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about Croatia, uh, Nations League as a whole, uh, Spain's under-21s and maybe we'll uh, look ahead to La Liga match day four as well. We'll see you in a bit. 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Lally Galodown's mini pod with Radio Stakhanov. It's David Garrido here with Ewan McTeer and Alex Johnson as well. Uh, we have discussed Spain's 2-1 win over England at Wembley in some detail. Um, as part of the new UEFA Nations League, a first game in League A Group 4, uh, first test passed by Luis Enrique. Um, but from World Cup semi-finalists, they now faced World Cup finalists. And next, it is Croatia on Tuesday night. Um, you and what sort of challenge do you expect Croatia to pose and how it'll be different to what Gareth Southgate side offered against Spain? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Croatia are now the away team, so you'd expect them to be a little bit more um, defensive than maybe England were. It's going to be hard to to know what to make of Croatia because after World Cup, there were so many players announced their, their international retirement, which I guess makes sense. If you got to World Cup final with Croatia, what more can you can you really do in, in international football? So I think we're going to see a bit of a, a different-looking Croatia team from what we saw in Russia. Um, but we know they are going to dominate the midfield. Uh, they've got so many good passers in there. They're going to be able to keep the ball there. And that's going to be really interesting to see how Spain's midfield can do against Croatia's midfield because Spain won so many balls against England I think it was 32 they've recouped in that game and but most of them were as we were sort of talking about before they were high up the pitch or they won the ball in defence they're really going to have to try and do it in midfield against Croatia and that's going to be that's going to be an interesting test so I think this game is going to be played out a little bit more in the midfield than the one we saw at Wembley yeah, I do get the sense it's uh, a game that will be decided in the middle of the park. With that in mind, Alex, are there any changes that you'd like to see? Are there any players you'd like to see put into that starting eleven to try and combat what Croatia have? Personally, I, I really like the, the lineup that, that Lucho had against England, but I do think we're going to see changes. I'm not sure which ones, but the, the feeling I've got from Luis Enrique since he took over Spain is that he wants to give his players a chance to, to prove themselves. And there's many players that have a set spot in, in the starting lineup, um, not even in the squad. As for instance, we saw that Diago Aspas wasn't even in the squad and then he was in the starting lineup, which proves that Lucha looks a lot at what they're doing in the training sessions and uh, gives every player the chance to, to prove themselves to, to get the chance. Uh, and I really, I really like that. And so I do think we're going to see a few changes, a few players getting getting the chance to, to show why they should be in the, be in the starting eleven. So as I mentioned, this is part of the new UEFA Nations League. It's uh, uh, now a tournament, essentially, uh, almost like a qualifying tournament designed by UEFA to make uh, friendlies more competitive and meaningful. Now, does anyone want to have a stab at explaining uh, exactly how the UEFA Nations League works in all its complicated sort of, you know, design, let's say? Uh, well, I could try. All right, Alex, you put your <laughs> hand try. up, you put your hand up. Right, yeah. OK, you've got 
a minute go how does it work so there's 55 countries uh we have countries who have been placed in four different tires you have a b c and d and it's four groups in each they play each other twice once at home once away uh, and if you win the group then you go up one level so if you're in b and you win your group in b you go up to league a if you're lost, you go down one level. Then the four league winners of the A leagues, so there's four groups in each league. So the four teams that win their group in A, they go to a playoff, a final four, so to call. Um, the winner there is the champions of the National League. Okay. And then, so, to, so far, quite easy. Yeah, that's just the top league and then the top teams that win the groups in the top league, they all go off into this little final four and then they play off and then they, someone lifts a trophy somewhere uh, Mm. next time. So Alex, how does this this help Scotland qualify for a tournament? What happens now? (laughs) That's that's what I'm going to explain to you now, yeah. So you have the normal qualifying for the European Championship, that is like normal looks like, but there's four spots that are left and that's the four spots you can get through national league so how do you decide who gets those spots so all the 16 teams who win their group in a b c and d qualifies for a playoff but since 20 teams have already qualified for the european championship those teams falls off so if one so if those teams take the qualification for one of those spots in the national league that spot goes to the team that is below them. Okay, so for, for example, let's say, let's say this group that England, Spain, Croatia are in, let's say Spain win the group, let's say Croatia finish second. If Spain have already qualified through the normal procedure for Euro 2020, but Croatia haven't, then Croatia are the team who go into this extra qualifying playoffs. Is that right? Exactly. Right, okay. So then what happens? You've got four playoffs of four teams. How do you then decide who ends up getting the, the four spots that have been left over for qualification. So then there is that four knockout phase okay. that decides uh, who will progress, what four teams will end up taking these last spots. Okay, so it's going to be semi-finals and final. And then basically, of all of those brackets, if you like, the one who emerges victorious from each of those four, those are the four that end up going to Euro 2020. Exactly. And that's how Scotland might, 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 probably not, <laughs> have chance to Clear get to Clear as mud. Uh, do you know what? I mean, that was an excellent explanation. That's one of the clearest ones that I've heard. When I went to an event, oh, I think it must have been, I don't know, a year ago, maybe even more than that. And I heard someone from UEFA try and explain it. It was not as clear as that. So, <laughs> so maybe you need to go and speak to UEFA and say, hey, do you need someone to explain this for you? Because I've got this down. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I can explain your tournament to you if you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, fingers crossed that Spain won't need the UEFA Nations League route to go through to Euro 2020. I doubt that they will. Um, and good luck to La Roja against Croatia. And also... As we switch tack, congratulations to La Rojita, who are through to next year's European Championship. Yep, uh, they managed to uh, win 3-0 in their latest qualifying game. Um, and it was uh, 
basically picking up from where they left off. Uh, in March, they beat Estonia 3-1, but in this game, uh, recently they beat Albania by three goals to nil with goals uh, from Real Sociedad Mikel Oyarzabal, also uh, Real Madrid's Borja Mayoral on loan at Levante, and Rafa Mir, formerly of Valencia, now with Wolves and on loan at Las Palmas. And so what it means is they have qualified for uh, Euro 2019, the under-21s version of that tournament, which is uh, taking place in Italy and San Marino next year. And in terms of the actual qualifying campaign, 16 goals in the last four qualifiers. Borja Mayoral actually scoring seven of those in those last four games. Seven wins in a row overall. They qualify with three games to spare. Um, Ewan, let me come to you on this one. The last time that the under-21s played in a major tournament, it was Euro 2017. Uh, they got to the final. They lost to Germany. How does this squad that they're honing now for the next major tournament compare to the one that got to the final of the last major tournament? Yeah, it's quite similar. I mean, you can, you can definitely see some of the players who are in line for... A move up to the senior team in, in a few years. You've got obviously Mikel Oyarzabal uh, in there, Carlos Soler as well as another another fine talent. And that was quite similar with what we saw a couple of years ago in Germany. And you look at some of the players who were there who have now moved up into the, the senior squad. I mean, you had Kepa, Saul, obviously, uh, Asensio, Ceballos. There's a lot of players there who uh, it really was a stepping stone. I think for a lot of countries, the under-21s isn't really a stepping stone. Isn't really There isn't really a progression from that team into the senior team. But Spain seemed to be keen to, to do that. And I think it's going to be interesting to see which of these players and how many of them can really make that step up. OK, so let's just move this a step on, shall we, and, and talk about players who are coming into this squad. Who do you think is, is the most striking young talent that's emerging right now, Alex? Um, there's several, to, <laughs> for sure. But uh, for me, uh, one of the players that I think we should look out for, especially coming up for uh, La Roja, is, is Pablo Mafeo, who's already, I guess, a few people know about from what he's been doing with Yorona, but it's a defender who, who clearly is uh, on a very, very high level and uh, that I think will be one to look out for. OK, Ewan, uh, any thoughts on, on young talent who are, who are coming through that might well be making a mark, not just in La Liga? I mean, obviously, Pablo Maffeo right now is over in Stuttgart playing uh, in Germany. So who do you think we should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, my favorite is definitely one. On the other side, you've got Junior Fupo as well, who's who's quite a talent. Uh, the obvious one, I think, is Oyarzabal and you know his uh, massive release clause. I think it's up to about sixty million now. Sort of shows it. But I really like the goalkeeper Unai Simon. You know, we had Kepa at the last Euros tournament, an Athletic Club goalkeeper. Now we've got another one, Unai Simon, and he's been starting for Athletic in the the first few weeks, which you probably didn't expect because he was about the fourth choice for them uh, just a few weeks ago. But then Kepa left. Uh, Iago Herring uh, suffering an injury Alex Ramiro has had a, a contract dispute so all of a sudden Unai Simon the fourth choice has been playing in Athletic's first couple of, of La Liga games and you know he looks a bit raw but he's made some good saves and I'm excited to see what he can do at the, the tournament because yeah Athletic have this, this knack of producing uh, excellent goalkeepers and we'll see if he's in a similar vein as, as Kepa I'm going to add to that Bryce Mendes, who you all know from having seen him at Balaidos as well, Alex playing for Celta. Uh, Mark Roca, who we know uh, through our recent exclusive interview that we did on La Liga Lowdown on our YouTube channel, um, who's recently been called up to the under-21s and is really finding his feet in that Espanyol central midfield. He's such a pivotal piece of the jigsaw for uh, Rui and, and what they're trying to do um, at the Catalan club. And also, I think Tony Lato deserves a bit of a mention here. I think the thing is that because he sat behind José Luis Gaya at Valencia, that you you 
sometimes forget that he's there. Um, but he has played and in fact actually played against, uh, I think it was Real Madrid last season when they doubled up the left backs and went with Lato and with Gaia. And I think that he's someone who you might well see emerge over the, the coming weeks and months. Um, in terms of Spain's under-21s, by the way, their remaining fixtures, for all it's worth, uh, in this uh, Euro qualification campaign, uh, they take on Northern Ireland, uh, Albania again, and then Iceland. But as I mentioned, uh, they've already qualified. They are nine points clear of Slovakia in second, uh, seven wins out of seven. So they make Italy and San Marino next year for the major tournament with three games to spare. Um, let's actually just um, quickly focus on La Liga because this is after all La Liga lowdown and we know there are lots of people who suffer over an international break they, they don't like not having league football um, but in terms of just the first three match days so far Ewan is there anyone who's really impressed you or disappointed you? I think Real Valladolid have been quite interesting to me I mean they they go into this international break having conceded just one goal which is the fewest of, of the whole division every other team has conceded at least two um, which is quite something for this early in the, in the season obviously they haven't scored a goal yet which is a problem you know, you can't just uh, survive on nil-nil draws. But I've been really impressed by their uh, their sort of defence, and they put in a really good performance against Barcelona at home as well. I've been impressed by them. I thought they were one of the weaker teams coming up. Obviously, the the one that comes up for the playoffs has less time to prepare. But I've been impressed by them, and you know, obviously they've got uh, a bright new era ahead of them with Ronaldo taking over the club. So I've been impressed by Real Valladolid. I thought they would be uh, worse. Uh, especially defensively than they have been. Alex, any nice surprises uh, early in the season? Uh, I think Huesca has been a big surprise uh, coming in and uh, the match against Barcelona became their first ever loss in, in La Liga. They had to go three match rounds in to get their first loss, which is very <laughs> impressive. Then for me as well, I think Celta has impressed. For me, I was I thought they were going to have a really difficult season, but instead they've just been better and better for each match and been very, very impressive, and especially in midfield where I thought they would have the problem. Uh, while Atletico might have been a surprise in the wrong way, uh, so to speak, they haven't at all impressed. They were one of the teams that all of us praised for their transfer window and, and the signings they made. It has not played out as, as any one of us expected, I think. When you mentioned Wesker, I think you've got to say that at some point the goal of the season will come from one of their players because uh, the first goal uh, that Alex Gayar scored uh, when they went to Ipurua admittedly and, and won by two goals to one well that that first goal that he scored was pretty special it just seemed to ghost between defenders and score and then of course the absolute belt of a goal scored by Jimmy Avila in Samames uh, to get Wesker a point uh, away to Athletic Bilbao um, they seem to have players who just each week a new one a new name stands out and, and, and rises to the occasion um, that is the the first game of match day four by the way Wesker are at home to uh, Rayo Aikan on the Friday night um, just to take you through the other fixtures coming up this coming weekend Atletico Eibar is a very difficult match for Ewan McTeer to watch because of course he has sympathies with both teams uh, Real Sociedad against Barcelona and Anoeta of course the bogey ground famously for Barcelona over the years is the uh, 4.15 kickoff Valencia Real Betis um, could well be an attractive game 6.30 for that one on the Saturday evening and then we finish off at San Mamés for Athletic against Real Madrid on Sunday Leganes Villarreal uh, in fact Ewan will be heading to that game to report for La Liga lowdown from Butarque uh, it's a clash between two teams who have just a single point to their names Espanyol Levante at the FC Stadium Valladolid at home to Deportivo Alaves uh, Sevilla against Getafe those are the remaining games on Sunday and the Monday night game is Girona against Celta Vigo so what is the most sort of intriguing fixture amongst those you and what do you think 
Oh, it's got to be Real Sofidad against Barcelona and uh, Anoeta is a nightmare for, for all Barcelona fans and a new look Anoeta as well. I mean, Real Sofidad have postponed their first home game of the season until now because they were doing work. I don't know if you've seen the, the new stadium yet, but go and look it up on their Twitter account. It looks amazing. They've almost completely done away with the running track. It looks really exciting. It should be even more intense and I'm excited to see how Barcelona cope uh, with basically their their bogey fixture of the season so that's going to be one to watch and obviously later that night across the Basque Country Athletic Club Real Madrid I mean that's always quite a special one too so yeah I'll be eyes on the Basque Country on Saturday OK what about you Alex what do you think? Well I agree with, with you and I think uh, another one is, is Valencia Betis it feels like it's going to be a very exciting and very fun match to watch uh, and hopefully a lot of goals it can go either way with with Betis as always, but I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a match with with goals, and, and that's what I look forward to. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, that whole Saturday looks pretty good, doesn't it? Atletico at home, then the game at Anueta, then I miss there for Valencia Betis, and then you finish off, as we mentioned, at Samamés for Athletic Club versus Real Madrid. Well, of course, we'll be building up to it, and we will pick one of those games on Partidas or Predictions this coming Friday. Not sure which one yet. My goodness, which one's it going to be? Who knows? But make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to find out. YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Lowdown. If that's too much to remember, that's fine. Don't worry. Just simply put La Liga Lowdown into your search engine. You'll find us that way. In the meantime, of course, we've got Spain playing again against Croatia on Tuesday night. So you can follow that on Twitter with us. So it's at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter. Uh, just come hang out with us on social media. All of the squad are involved, not just you and Alex and myself here, but also Roman and Paco. Uh, take it in turns to take charge of the account and uh, just keep you entertained and informed on all things Spanish football. Uh, there's our website as well, laligalowdown.com. Uh, with all of our content in one place um, and make sure as well as far as this podcast is concerned you can subscribe however you listen to it uh, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or you've got an Android device whether you listen through Acast which is our official distribution service etc or whatever you use make sure you give us a five star rating if you like what we're doing um, my thanks to Alex Johnson and Ewan McTeer for being with me on this podcast hope you've enjoyed it guys always yeah for sure and thanks to you guys for listening as well this is La Liga Lowdown we'll see you next time Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns.